Welcome back to Highly Respected's IQ Supplements. I'm your host, Scott Greer, and today we're going to have another incredible episode, just like always, even though this one's going to be a little bit different because it's going to be making up for the lost Highly Respected episode this week because, or the missing Highly Respected episode, because we had Christmas on Monday, so I hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas, and today we're going to have an incredible IQ Supplement, just like always. So it's going to be like a normal highly respected episode because I'm going to answer the Cognitive questions and also it's like a normal highly respected episode because everyone can listen to it. It just won't be on YouTube. It will just only be found here on Substack where you're listening to it right now. So I have one topic to get into before we go into the Cognitive questions. There is a topic that I wanted to talk about uh, but... It's a normal topic, but it's also a convoluted question, so I'll just go off on that topic when I uh, get the convoluted question. So for the first topic, I want to talk about the controversy over Nikki Haley saying the Civil War wasn't over slavery. She was essentially saying it was about the freedom of states to do their own type of decisions. It was essentially, it was essentially saying states' rights without quite saying states' rights. I'll read exactly what she said that got her in hot water. So a questioner at some town hall or some event asked her about what does she think the cause of the Civil War was. And she asked, I think the cause of the Civil War is basically how government was going to run. The freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was, our argument? That's uh, funny that she's asking the, uh, the person for his own answer. And then she repeated it. It's like, it always, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. And then she asked, is like, what do you want me to say about slavery? And... You know, I think it's um, I think it's a fine answer. I, I think uh, a lot of people like me generally hate Nikki Haley and just will find whatever reason to attack her, which there's plenty to attack her over, but I think the Civil War answer is not it. And the answer she's given is that this is a woman who was fostered in South Carolina politics. And when she first started out in South Carolina politics in the 2000s, this is the type of answer you needed. I mean, you have to remember is that South Carolina still had a Confederate flag flying on top of its state capitol in 2000. It was only taken down in 2000. And at that time, every Republican president, you know, George W. Bush law won that state in the Republican primary that year by sounding like by saying it was up to the state whether they keep the flag or not. While John McCain emphatically said they need to take down the flag. George W. Bush won that primary and then later on became the presidential nominee. In large part due to that, you could say to that answer. And so in the 2000s, they still had a Confederate flag flying in front of the state capitol, not on the state capitol. Of course, Nikki Haley was the one who took it down. And I think it's right to criticize her for that. But everyone always imagines that when she took it down, that she was doing it alone, that this was not backed by national momentum or that there was a lot of controversy over this decision in the state. But comparatively speaking, or relatively speaking, to when the flag was on top of the state capitol and they took it down, there was not as much pushback over that. There was not as much resistance towards that. It wasn't so much Nikki Haley made this decision. It was just the fact that Nash, that momentum had caught up and she just followed along with the momentum. She didn't decide to resist the momentum. And you know, when she took down that flag, there were no protests. There were a bunch of people standing around cheering and chanting, na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye to the flag. There was no protest at all at the, at the flag protest. And everyone lionized in the media. Now, you know, well after the fact, well after, well after the fact when it mattered, everyone's like, she took down this, this flag and this she ruined heritage. And it's like, true, but... You know, she was not alone in this. She was not the directing force of this. She was merely responding to the national sentiment after the Charleston church shooting and how they needed to eliminate the Confederate flag. And not that many people were protesting or caring about it. I'll come back to that thought in a moment about conservative reaction to conservative to Confederate monuments. But now you're seeing her give this answer where you know, you have to, she's coming from South Carolina politics, and even though she removed the flag, she was always still about the same as most Southern Republicans when it came to all their statues and monuments. You know, she was never trying to encourage, uh, she was never, you know, the full frontal, you know, full front zealot in raising these statues and such compared to, say, Democrats. 
Obviously, that doesn't change her removing the flag, but, you know, you have to see where she's coming from. And coming from South Carolina politics, this is the type of answer you would want to give. Now, she gave this answer not in the South, but in New Hampshire, where uh, the people there are not going to care if she said it was over slavery. But she's still thinking about Southern voters and how she was raised in her state of politics and how the answer should be given. But it's a very different scenario from now because this answer she gave is not just being attacked by the, in the media, it's also being attacked by conservatives. Now, a lot of the conservatives who want to attack her do so because, not because they're really offended that she didn't blame slavery, they're doing so because they support another candidate in the primary. They either support Trump or DeSantis. So, you know, anytime that a candidate does something stupid, they're going to attack that person and, and condemn them. That's just the nature of politics. But it's still showing that all these strong conservatives are emphatically saying you have to say it was over slavery. It was a war over slavery. This is the only appropriate answer that you can give for uh, the for why the Civil War happened. What was the cause of the Civil War? It was over slavery. Now, this is very different from 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you would have had many conservatives say it was over states' rights. And it was over that. It was, and a large part of that was due to please Southern conservatives. Um, the cause of the Civil War, as somebody's read a lot and has sympathy for the Confederacy, uh, you can't avoid <laughs> slavery's role in it. But I think it's a matter of, you know, the fact is, is that everyone thinks slavery is a great evil. And if we're wanting to protect Confederate monuments and statues, it's about saying, you know, it was over states' rights or is a disagreement over how the government should be run. Something of that sort. Something of the sort that answer that Nikki Haley gave. Because if you're just saying, oh, it's over slavery, and everyone thinks slavery is one of the greatest evils, then why are you keeping up these statues, Confederate, you know, these Confederate heroes and Confederate monuments? That further advances the process of eliminating that heritage. So saying it's over states' rights or, you know, dispute over how our government was run is the right way to answer it. And that's the way that you know, even though I hate Nikki Haley and everything she stands for and for taking on the flag, the answer she gave was the right answer she should have given. But that right answer no longer pleases that many people. Really, the only people who would be pleased by it are on the Internet and they all hate Nikki Haley. <laughs> Rightfully so. But most of the real world people are not as invested in the Civil War and what its cause was are care that much that saying was over slavery this is very different than 20 or 30 years ago southern voters if you'd said you know if you're worried about competing in the southern primaries and you said civil war was over slavery you were likely going to lose votes today probably not going to lose any votes and also the southern voter is very different you know people still imagine the south is the land of magnolia and it's all the same as it was in the civil war and everyone has an accent it's really not that the case at all so the south has had so many migrants from the rest of the rest of the country also migrants from outside of the country and it's very different character than it is today you know even in south carolina they've been drawing these northerners and westerners to its you know cities and to its suburbs to live there and work there. A lot of people no longer have Confederate ancestors there. Sometimes it's because they fought for the North. Other times because their ancestors came after the Civil War. It's not People are not as heavily invested in it. And even for those with Confederate ancestors, they don't care as deeply about it as they do their boomer um, elders. You know, the boomers are likely the last generation of Southerners who are really care about the Confederate heritage. And even you can see this with like the people who showed up for when A.P. Hill was, you know, disinterred and removed from Richmond. You know, his remains were under a statue in Richmond and, you know, they had, you know, a reburial for him. Pretty much everyone who showed up was over the age of 50. Lots of gray hair um, at this ceremony. Not a lot of young people. As young people generally don't care about this stuff as much. And it's not like in the 60s and 70s where young Southerners were still strongly flying the Confederate flag. You know, Leonard Skinner was a you know Southern rock band. Uh, well, I think most listeners know what Leonard Skinner is. 
And they were proudly flying the Confederate flag. They were Southern youth. They were expressing uh, Southern youth culture in that. And also the Dukes of Hazard having a Confederate flag on the General Lee, no less. That was also an expression of how you know young people in the South treated the, the Confederate flag. It was an expression of their regional identity. It was an expression of who they are. But you know that's primarily the boomer generation. Once, you know, Gen Xers, it's still there, but among my generation of millennials, you know, I grew up in the South all the time. Having a Confederate flag was still, you know, you know, people would say, oh, that's interesting. But it was like seen as a little bit too much. And this is pre Dylan Roof, pre Charlottesville, pre all this. This is early 2010s. And even then, it's like, um, that might be a little bit too much to have a Confederate flag. And even in my high school, you know, if you wore a Confederate flag shirt, like there's a good chance you're likely to be sent home, even though it's debatable. You know, if it's like a Leonard Skinner shirt, uh, I don't think the school would have sent you home. But if it was just like a straight up like Confederate pride flag shirt, uh, Southern school would have sent you home. We didn't even have many black kids, so it was uh, they would still send you home. So is it changing now? I can only, now after 2015, you're ob- even if it's a Leonard Skinner shirt, you're getting sent home, and it, having a Confederate flag in your dorm room is way out of bounds you're probably going to get kicked out of college for that not just that people will be like oh you really want to hold that up i mean i would have obviously seen this as cool but it's very much the confederate flag is much more um put to the side it's much more shunned than it was for people who are growing up in the time of leonard skinner and even definitely the 60s because the confederate flag for southern youth was a really a way of showing defiance against the federal government and against integration and you can find tons of pictures and tons of videos of high schoolers and people who are in their early 20s proudly waving the confederate flag and even in the 80s when it the confederate flag was no longer meant as a way of defiance against integration it was more just an expression of regional identity people still clung to it and people still had it um you know, even the band, another band, Pantera. Pantera in the 90s was really big into showing off the Confederate flag. They're a band from Dallas, Texas, very Southern. And, you know, that was just seen as like, well, they're from the South. That's just a normal thing. And that was a normal part of their identity. Those are Gen Xers. So I would say Pantera was probably the last example of, you know, a, a musical act or an expression of youth culture that was heavily invested in the confederate flag and it's been very different ever since now today among millennials and zoomers southerners they don't care as much about this stuff anymore and they certainly don't aren't bothered by debates over the civil war it's really just southern boomers who are really heavily invested in this stuff but once they go the real world constituency for defending the monuments will go with them and that's a very sad fact um and that's why, you know, you're seeing this reconciliation, reconciliation monument removed from Arlington Cemetery, which this was a big thing among conservatives. You know, a lot of conservatives were getting upset on online and Twitter about this. But, you know, they're wondering why is there su- such a strong push to remove the statues? For one, there was not this outrage over the push to remove Confederate monuments, statues and flags when it mattered back when in 2015. Back then, conservatives were, you know, on the fence or in favor of it and saying, like, it's time to get rid of the Confederacy. They're not going to come after our our other history, which that turned out to be untrue as they started going after the founding fathers and even Abraham Lincoln. So it was totally untrue that that fact was going to hold. They're going to go after all our heritage because it's because they're tired of honoring dead white men. So they're going after the entire history. So that was mistaken. And then the other time to have defended it was in 2017 after Charlottesville, where there's this huge outburst of just tearing down these statues. Very few people defending the statues at that time. And there was a lot more infuriating raisings of the statues. I remember there was this one statue at UNC where they tur- where they pulled it down on their own. Protesters pulled it down on their own. And then they began hitting it with their shoes and stuff. It was like a it was like a scene from Baghdad after we toppled Saddam and they're tearing down Saddam's statue and everyone's hitting it with their shoe and they're just stomping on it. And it's like very upsetting when they're doing this. And I, I would say excavators, you know, coming in the middle of the night or excavation crew coming in the middle of the night and removing it is less upsetting than 
<laughs> what you're seeing than like seeing left wing protesters tear it down and celebrate it without any consequences. That's much more upsetting. But at that time, conservatives weren't saying shit. And then in 2020, another outburst of tearing down these statues and push for them. Conservatives weren't really saying much then. Now in 2023, when this issue has already been settled, conservatives are just saying, this is an outrage they're tearing this down. It's like, where have you been for the last eight years? You know, some of the people who are really leading the charge on this have been saying this stuff for years. But I think the groundswell of support for this uh, among mainstream conservatives is now just apparent. But it's like this issue is already settled. It's already done. <laughs> you know, the time to have fought over this was years in the past. It's now just accepted fact. And, you know, people can just complain on the Internet about this. But there's not as much of a groundswell of base in the real world to vote on these issues as much anymore. You know, you still have states that are trying to restrict the removal of statues. I know that Florida has a bill that's uh, maybe passed to you know protect these statues. And most of the southern states have, uh, have laws in the books to protect statues. I know that Alabama and Tennessee do and a couple of others. You know, that's a good thing, but it's uh, it's not as important to voters as it once was, especially to Southerners. And I actually, to bring back Pantera, I think that there's a, a really good example of this. Is that Pantera was very proud of displaying the Confederate flag. They even had, you know, some Confederate iconogra- iconography on some of their albums. And now the band condemns fans who for waving the flag. And Phil Anselmo, you know, at a recent concert, because they're just on tour, without, you know, the Abbott brothers. The Abbott brothers are both dead. Uh, one, Dimebag Daryl, the guitarist, got shot to death. And the other one died of health, for health cause, natural causes, uh, a few years ago. And so now it's just the, the bass player uh, and Phil Anselmo, who the Abbott brothers hated after the band was uh, uh, split in 2000 or so. Uh they're going tour. And Phil Anselmo was always the most racist member. <laughs> he always gave these white pride speeches and condemned black, you know, black power on stage. And he had, you know, I think they had a few lyrics with the N-word. <laughs> and he is very much, and he wore um, some shirts uh, with white national symbolism. <laughs> and so he was always, uh, and he always had, you know, a reputation of having some connection with skinheads. So he's always the most upfront member about this stuff. And now when fans are showing flying the Confederate flag, he's like condemning them. He's attacking them. He's like, take that shit out of here. And this is in large part because he's trying to avoid getting canceled because he had a he had a, a, a racism moment a few years ago at a concert. He got drunk and began uh, doing Roman salutes and saying white power. <laughs> and he managed to avoid not getting canceled in the metal world over that. So he's now having to be on his best behavior. But it's just a sign that, you know, obviously giving a Roman salute and saying white power is a, is a different, is on a uh, further along on the scale of politically incorrect behavior than flying a Confederate flag. But the fact that he is like making a strong stand against the Confederate flag is indicating some change among Southerners towards the Confederate flag versus when they were in the 90s. You know, maybe you could argue maybe Pantera is not the best barometer for this, but I think that's, you know, that is one of the changes. But even Leonard Skinner, you know, Leonard Skinner years ago said they're no longer going to display the Confederate flag. In their band, and could, Leonard Skinner is a very conservative band. You know, they made a song for Ron DeSantis. You know, they are a conservative band, and even they think that you know flying the Confederate flag is too much. Go even with NASCAR. NASCAR banned the Confederate flag. Did it really hurt their audience? Uh, no, or lose their audience? No, they just the audience just accepted it. Um, the South is changing, rapidly changing towards this stuff, and people aren't as upset about the monuments and statues and the heritage erasure as they were in 2015 when it was the time to fight over this stuff. So if you're wanting to look for reasons why you know, Confederate monuments are getting removed, see the outrage over Nikki Haley. That's a much more important way of suing this than you know seeing the Confederate Reconciliation Monument being removed from Arlington National Cemetery and being like, well, why are they doing this? Well, if you're condemning Nikki Haley for not saying the Civil War was over slavery, there's your reason. 
The fact is, is that now in American society, everyone has to say it was over slavery and slavery was one of the greatest evils. And if everyone's saying that, then why are they going to care if the Confederate monuments are removed? Why are they going to care? And it's not just extending to the Confederates. It's also extending to the founding fathers and any other great American who was involved in slavery. This also extends to George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, you know, James Madison, everyone you could imagine this it applies to you know there's only a few americans that it would not apply to any involvement in slavery so this is why you have to be careful about saying it was over slavery or for politicians and political figures i think if you're having an academic discussion over it you can you know give the reasons why for why the south you know seceded but for politicians and for public figures who are wanting to defend Confederate monuments and statues, which is what we primarily want politicians to do. We do not want to give want them to have the 100% correct, academically correct answer on why the Civil War happened. We care more about them standing with our heritage and making sure statues and monuments aren't destroyed. You want the Nikki Haley answer. And that's why uh, I'm not going to criticize her for it. And I think it's really wrong for conservatives to jump on her for it because this is the as I keep saying, this is the answer we want politicians to say. And even somebody who's as terrible as Nikki Haley can, ha can occasionally have their moments. So, yeah, if you want to know, yeah, if you want to know why this is happening, why there's such a push to remove Confederate monuments, look no further than the outrage over Nikki Haley. But even the outrage from it, from right-wingers and conservatives, is indicating how this, you know, Southern identity and conservative stance towards civil war has changed, even if conservatives are more upset about Confederate monuments and statues being removed. But at the same time, they are much more accepting and have conformed to what is the standard historiography and views of the civil war, which negates and undermines their position in defending the Confederate statues and monuments. I mean, for me, Defending it in monuments and statues is just about heritage. I mean, I'm a Southerner. My ancestors, every ancestor was here and had, was old enough to fight in the Civil War, fought in the Civil War for the Confederacy. And so for me, it's about expressing who my heritage and my identity, and that's why I stand up for it. But you do have to have some you know, arguments to say that they were not fighting for a great evil, that they were not monsters, they were not the American Nazis or something of that sort. And you need people like Nikki Haley to say it was a fight over states' rights or how government should be run. Now on for the convoluted questions. As a reminder, you too can get the power to ask me questions. Or suggest guests and topics if you sign up for the Convalete option and highly respected Substack, which you're on right now. But just to give you a reminder of the URL, it's highlyrespected.substack.com. And make sure to sign up for the other high IQ supplements while you're there for the ones that are behind the paywall if you haven't already. And now we're going to start off with the questions from KMAX. He's got two today. And I'm going to start off with be his first question because this was a topic I wanted to discuss Outside of Connolly questions, but I'll just combine it. And he's asking, Scott, what is your prediction after Colorado? Trump was taken off the ballot. Will more states follow suit? Does still Trump still win the January 15th Iowa primary? Will the system go into overdrive to disbar him? Uh, one, my prediction after Colorado is that it's going to get overruled. He, For one, they're saying he is guilty of insurrection. He's not even charged with insurrection. Uh, so even if he is convicted, they can't kick him off for that reason. It's just them inventing a charge that he's not, that he doesn't have charge with. And the Supreme Court is not going to follow suit. And there have been several other states that have been trying to disbar him from running. And there, their state Supreme Courts have all voted against it. It was just, it was only Colorado's that has upheld it. So will more states follow suit? I mean, this is going to be a battle throughout the 2024 year is that there's going to be many states trying to kick him off and to push him off the ballot but it's not really going to work i even if he's convicted of what he's charged with in the dc january 6th case the supreme court will rule to keep him on but even in that case it looks like that that trial won't happen this year because the supreme court is not following what jack smith wants and is you know, not trying to expedite the hearing of this case, and it could drag on throughout the year, and Trump could be free of any criminal trial 
by the time November rolls around, which is very good for him, which increases his chances of winning. So it looks like, and that's and that was the toughest case to delay, by the way, because the Georgia case, as I've always said this before, the Georgia case, the black attorney general there has, Fannie Willis has said it's not going to happen uh, in 2024. The documents case, the judge there is pretty much strongly indicating that she's going to delay it after the election. We will find out for sure in March, but it looks very good that she is. It was always the D.C. case that was going to be the toughest to delay because the judge there is very liberal, very anti-Trump, and was very accommodating towards Jack Smith and the prosecution. But it looks like the Supreme Court may help to delay this till another time. Uh, are the courts above the the court hearing the case. So that's very good news. And does Trump still win the January 15th Iowa primary? Yes, he uh, all polls in Iowa now show him over 50%. And Haley and DeSantis are neck and neck. So who nobody has the ability to overtake him. So yes, he will win the January 15th Iowa primary likely by over, you know, getting over 50% of the vote. Uh, I think the more interesting question is who will finish second i don't i think nikki haley will finish second rather than ron desantis and it will be interesting to see if if ron desantis drops out of the race and endorses haley we'll get into that uh question um, later on in the podcast because somebody asks uh, about that question or something related to it but will the system go into overdrive to disbar trump if he's convicted yes they will but i i think even if he's convicted they won't be able to disbar him. So it's all in the court's hands. The Supreme Court will keep Trump on the ballot no matter what. That is my prediction. I'm very confident in that. Uh, I don't, I'm skeptical that the Supreme Court will save Trump from some of his convictions and overturn these cases, but I am very confident that they will keep him on the ballot because there's no rule, there is no law to keep him off it. And they're just reading charges that he's not been charged with into his indictment. And they're just saying, oh, it's time to kick him off. All these are these, the Colorado decisions can be thrown out. And even if Colorado did this after he's been convicted, it would be thrown out. The one thing I want to go off on this topic is that conservative, a lot of right wing response to Trump being indicted are being thrown off the Colorado ballot instead of saying, oh, they're trying to throw a Hail Mary to the Supreme Court. This is not what we should do. We need to start doing this to Democrats. And it's like, First off, there is a moral claim that that Democrats are using to keep Trump off the ballot. They're saying he committed insurrection and we're taking him off the ballot because we cannot allow insurrectionists to run for president or become president. You know, and that's a moral case that's appealing to a wide swath of the American public. We can all say that that's stupid or not, but they're using they're not saying that like we're in power and we have the ability to do this. You know, they're using a moral claim or a moral persuasion to say this. You know, they're appealing to values and beliefs that Americans have. With Republican, the uh, the reason for doing this is not for any like, oh, they're convicted of insurrection or something. It's just simply saying, well, Democrats are doing this and we're in power, so we're going to do this. So it's more like a villain, a movie villain who explains his evil reasoning. It's like, I love power. I love killing people. I'm evil. And that's the reasoning, which generally in the movie, it's to highlight how evil they are and how they don't, aren't like normal people. And with normal people, they have a moral justification for this. But for Republicans, there's like no justification. So they're like, we're going to get random county in Mississippi to, to disbar Biden for being president. It's like, what's going to be the reason? Uh, power. And it's like, that's not how things work. That's first off, you know, people want to have a tit for tat, but like the tit for tat doesn't work if, you know, it's immediately overruled and immediately, you know, squashed. You know, I was seeing this with, you know, there's this strong desire to use power, even if it ends up backfiring. You know, the greatest example of this was earlier this year when Tennessee censured and removed, you know, the Democrats were involved in disrupting the Tennessee state legislature over guns and they removed them and people were like this is an awesome example of power but instead these guys were turned into martyrs and they were quickly returned to their seats 
by their districts. And so they totally clowned on the Tennessee state legislature. And I had all these guys on Twitter saying that this was a brilliant use of power and what they should do is next arrest them. And it's like, they're not going to be able to do that. They're not going to be able to do that. They don't have the, you know, when your tit for tat is easily called out and you're owned, you know, maybe you shouldn't do this. And this is what would be the case if you're just like, we need an aggressive acts. Like we need to like arrest Biden. And it's like, how the fuck are you going to arrest Biden? And what's the justification for arresting Biden? You don't have one. It's just like, well, we have to do this. And there's like a really funny example of this from Steve Deese, who's like, we've got to be more aggressive. We've got to be more creative than the courts. We can't trust the courts to do this. We're going to, we're going to, you know, do something really aggressive to, to bar all Democrats from the ballot. And it's like, and he also, at the end of the thing, is like, also, by the way, we need to have Trump drop out and elect DeSantis to really send a message. When DeSantis himself is now going in interviews and complaining about how Trump is going to use dictatorial power when he gets to office, even though DeSantis' whole pitch among his shills is that he is going to be the caudillo. He is going to arrest all, everyone who criticizes him. And all libtards are going to be sent to Guantanamo Bay. And now he's criticizing Trump for being a dictator. It's like, who are you appealing to? Your shells have been talking about how you're the the coming Caudillo, and now you're like, oh, we can't use state power for this stuff. We can only use state power to arrest people who criticize Israel. You know, that's uh, that's the DeSantis way. But, you know, when even you have, like, your guy saying stuff like this, you know, and this is the favorite candidate of most of the people who are like, it's time to fight back, and you have this guy saying, like, I'm worried about Trump using state power against his enemies, you know. So it's sign that Republican tit for tat is not going to work. And I always see this as like, there's like, we need to think outside the box. And generally thinking outside the box results in very stupid ideas and very idiotic ideas that are going to backfire on the right. And really, there's no need to do that when the courts are going to overturn this decision anyway. Um, you know, and, and if you are looking for an outside the box solution, you really have to think of a better uh, persuasive argument, a better persuasive argument, a more moral persuasion argument than, well, we've got to use power for our own ends. You know, you have to have a real case for it to appeal to the American public. And the American public is going to quickly reject you sounding like Shredder uh, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So uh, that was one thing. I want to say, but this is a white pill I want to offer is that I wouldn't worry too much about Trump getting kicked off the Colorado ballot. He will be back on the ballot and the libs will fail to kick him off the ballot. So that is my prediction. Now for KMAC's second question. Scott, your view of engaging in more lawfare. When IBM does their Ten Commandments and states white people alone are the racist and only they can be blamed for anything. Uh, he's referring to IBM as, you know, having some anti-white policies and who they hire and doing some DEI stuff. Uh, do we have enough lawyers or money on our side to make them pay for this? It just seems like workplace harassment like this, besides complaining online, could something be done about this? Yes, you can do something about this. I mean, uh, Stephen Miller's America vs. Legal is suing IBM over this. I think this is how we're aware of the case. And America vs. Legal has had some real results. They've had a lot of these big companies ditch these programs that are exclusively hiring non-whites, and they're now back to, you know, you know, they're really eliminating their racial quotas and stuff. And it is a strong pushback against this. If we did not have America First Legal using lawfare, all these companies would be even more anti-white. They all want to try to do this, all this DEI stuff and all this anti-white discrimination and hiring practices. But AF1 is there to sue them and to challenge them on this and there have been companies who have backed down and changed their policies over this. So there is stuff. Lawfare is working here. Um, that's to go back to my last question. You know, if there's still the courts will still, I mean, the, it's not a hundred percent solution, but it is, does give you the chance to change some of the terrible things we're seeing around us. And we are seeing this with lawfare and what America First Legal is doing and pushing back against anti-white discrimination in the workplace. So I don't want to get have people totally blackpilled there. So yeah, my answer is that yeah, lawfare is the is the great solution to it. The one thing I have to say is that a lot of these companies are doing this stuff uh, against the law, but they're doing it because there's a kind of a social acceptance of anti-white discrimination, which is a big problem that you can maybe 
chip away at with lawfare, but there's something deeper going on in American society that's pushing a lot of these companies to do this. I mean, there was that story that came out that only 6% of the new hires at Fortune 500 or Fortune 100, I always forget which one it was, have been, only 6% of them have been white males since 2021. And uh, uh, that's not good, but I hope that the lawfare that things like America First Legal and I think a lot of the lawfare that would happen if a Republican takes power again, or Trump, let me rephrase that. If Trump takes power again, he would use the Department of Justice to go after all these companies. And that would give it extra teeth to really hit back at the anti-white discrimination in the workplace. So I, I think if you did have a Republican in there, you would see that you know the discrimination against white males in hiring be really on the back foot and almost completely eliminated. You, If the DOJ is filing a ton of lawsuits over it, uh, corporate America is going to listen and to change their tune about that. So that is the question. That is my answer to that. And mystery said uh, he has an IQ question for the new year, which we're not the new year yet. Um, I will save this one for Monday. So I, I will, cause I need, I don't know if everyone's going to submit IQ, uh, or kind of elite questions for Monday, but he said this for the new year. So I am, I'm sorry, mystery. We will have your question on Monday on next Monday. So sorry about that, but it is, um, <laughs> we do love mysteries questions, but I'm wanting to save some for Monday. So we will save that one for money. It's a very good question. So uh, I, if mystery has another one, I will also answer that. We will go keep going along to Jay. Uh, and he's asked, do you think there are any popular Twitter accounts in our sphere or otherwise that are AI bots? Any that you suspect? Um, uh, some some have been like automatically generated. That's been that. Uh, I think a main problem is just like the content farmers, which, you know, uh, those are real human beings behind it, but I don't think that there are AI bots. I think the more thing is just there. Uh, my more important thing is like how many of these people generally believe in what they're saying. And I think a lot of them don't. They're just doing this to content farm and engage. I mean, Ian Miles Chong is probably the greatest example of this. Like this guy's politics have been all over the place and will just change dramatically from year to year. But he's just... Uh, consistently a content farmer and engage and trying to engagement mine as much as he can. But I, so I don't really think the real problem is AI bots. I think it's just um, people trying to make money by telling, uh, by lying to people and trying to get as much uh, inflammatory content and as much engagement as possible. The content farmer is unfortunately a human, not an AI bot. I think AI bots wouldn't be as good of content farmers. So we got that question. And going along, we've got Jack. He's. This is a question I was going to mention. I, I definitely have to answer this for today because I was talking about this earlier. What are the odds that Trump picks Nikki Haley as his VP? This is anecdotal, but all the family members that I've seen over the holidays love her. I think, unfortunately, that he might do it to make the small portion of the GOP that really dislikes him okay with voting 2024. This is true. I think I've talked with a lot of families and even with my own there are a lot of Nikki Haley fans out there, and people and people on Twitter is like, "How can this be? There, who is a Nikki Haley fan?" And then you go out in the real world and you go to like middle class Republicans and conservatives, and they're like, "I like Nikki Haley," and it's like, "Why?" It's like, "Well, she seems respectable," and that <laughs> it's unfortunate, but it's um, it's very much common. I even had a. Um, a relative who's like really, you know, was a huge Trump supporter, you know, big time guy who like believes in, you know, even some like QAnon stuff. And this guy is like, uh, I'm voting for Nikki because I think they'll steal the election again from Trump. And it's like, I don't think that's a good reason to vote for Nikki. But there are people like this. So um, but I don't I am very much skeptical he's going to pick his Nikki has his VP. He just keeps calling her bird brain. He called her bird brain, I think, yesterday or, or earlier this week. He, he really does not like Nikki Haley. I think he's sounding out the idea because he, he thinks he needs a woman or a minority as his VP. She's both a woman and a minority. And 
you know, she has a reputation, but I don't think he wants Nikki Haley as his VP. He wants somebody who's going to be firmly de- defending him. He doesn't want someone who ran against him in the primary because he's used that as an act of disloyalty and a betrayal. That's why he will never pick uh, Ron DeSantis, and he'll probably have a long-standing grudge against Ron DeSantis till the day he dies. I don't think he'll pick Nikki Haley as VP. You know, it's within the realm of possibility, but I would not say this. And all the people who are who are promoting the idea that Trump's going to pick VP are DeSantis shills. And DeSantis is more likely to drop out and endorse Nikki Haley than Trump is to pick Nikki Haley as his running mate. That is something to be seen. So every person who's complaining about Trump picking Nikki Haley as VP will dramatically shift to being pro Nikki Haley if if DeSantis endorses her, which I think is a strong possibility if DeSantis does poorly in Iowa and he decides that everyone not Trump needs to unite around a the best alternative to Trump, which is Nikki Haley, and he endorses Nikki Haley. So that's something I want to keep in mind. But if Trump, you know, if he wants to go with a female pick, he would either pick Stefanik, who's almost as bad as Haley or Christy Nome, who's a total idiot. But, you know, that's that's his two most likely picks for VP. I would put Vivek as a more likely v- VP candidate than Nikki Haley. I would even maybe think that Tucker is a more likely VP candidate than Nikki Haley. So I would just keep that in mind. I would not worry about it. And the people who are promoting this idea all would happily support Nikki Haley if DeSantis endorses her. So that's what one thing you need to keep in mind. Moving along, we have questions from Tom. Actually, I just found a question from Tom. I don't think I answered. It was like from months ago. This is what happens when I have things uh, get hidden in the inbox. My apologies to Tom about this. I'll answer his first question, and then I'll go back to his old question. I don't think I answered uh, well back in the summer. So apologies to Tom. He asked a good question, so I should say this. And he said, I never know what to ask, but I'm happy to support your podcast. So thank you. We we definitely appreciate that. It's like, question, what do you think I, white identity politics would look like when it goes mainstream? It'd be funny to see suburban soccer's moms with bumper stickers saying Aryan baby on board, but that's unlikely. I've been thinking that when white identity politics go mainstream, it won't look exactly how we expect it. They'll still be good on the issues that matter, but it won't look like the alt-right or the DR. And or the DR. Cheers, cheers, Scott. So I actually 100% agree with that. It is not going to be anything related to white nationalism. White identity politics will not be probably explicitly white. It will be draped in the flag. It will be draped in patriotism. It will be very American nationalist, but it will be an implicit understanding that America can no longer be American if it doesn't preserve its core population which is white people which is the historic american nation so you'll just white identity politics will just be simple stuff it will like say maybe a betsy ross flag on a minivan that will be a sign that this person is very anti-affirmative action a very anti-immigration very anti-dei in schools it will be a much more subtle implicit type of white identity politics we will see it will be people you know, living in nice neighborhoods and maybe, you know, having freedom of association to keep out people that don't look like them from their neighborhoods. It will be something much more, it will not resemble that of the Aryan Brotherhood (laughs) or a prison gang type stuff. It will be something that's very appealing to middle-class people where they are right now and about how they can have a better quality of life. And that better quality of life will be much more subtle and implicit in its white identitarianism than what has been favored by a lot of the old right in years past. So that is my answer to that. That's a very good question, Tom. And now I'm going to go back to this question that I don't think I ever answered because it was unopened in my inbox. But uh, I believe you mentioned before that some universities or at least some faculties will be have to be closed down. This seems like a difficult thing to do in the developed world, but there's precedence. Jamans, Minister of Education, requested all national universities to close their social sciences and humanities departments have about half to collide and others downsized. Orban's government discredited gender studies programs and forced a small activist university out of the country. Uh, it was the Soros University. How far would this solution need to go in America? What would it look like? A somewhat positive trend is that enrollment is dropping the social sciences and humanities. Really, you just have to have state governments, Republican state governments, inter- 
intervene in these flagship state universities and say like, hey, you're not teaching this stuff anymore. Or prominent donors doing that for some of the private universities. But with flat, with state universities, it's very simple. You have Republican legislatures that are in control of this, and they can go in and say, you are no longer having DEI programs. You're no longer having this diversity stuff. You're making cuts to this black studies department. You can have that. It's just that this you know state government has to go line by line to cut out what's bad in these universities. And you're seeing these results throughout the South. I mean, what you know, I've criticized DeSantis a lot, but he's been doing some of this stuff in Florida. I've been, you know, you've been seeing this stuff in other states that have cut out diversity programs in their universities. I think uh, Oklahoma was one of them that did it. So, and they're withholding funds unless they cut out the DEI stuff. So, this is a once, this is a small step in the right direction, and that's really all you need to do. Um, I don't know about co- closing all the departments down. You really just have to stop funding for the worst stuff, like the ethnic studies and the diversity programs. It's really more about going after the administrators. Than going after the professors. The administrators are the real problem because they really don't do anything. They make like six figures to take two lunch breaks a day. Uh, so they, you could really cut them out and save university money. And even with eliminating a lot of the administrative bloat, that can also reduce tuition costs. So you're doing a lot of positive things. You're killing uh, a bird. You're killing. You maybe you could say you're killing two birds with one stone, but you could be killing like ten birds with one stone by cutting out the diversity administrative bloat. So that's like the small things we can do to make our universities better. I don't think you need anything too radical to make them a much better place than what they are right now. So that is the question from Tom. And my last question is coming from New England refugee. We love New England refugee. We always make sure that he is the last. He gets the last question of the of the podcast. And so, New England refugee asks. Hey, Scott, do you believe culture has been more homogenized by the Internet or fractured? I go back and forth. Highly respected guest Patrick Casey said fractured because you can find your own niche group and only concentrate there if you want. I think the Internet right is a great example. On the other hand, there are videos, songs and memes that everyone under a certain age would recognize. What do you think, Scott? It's both. I think it's actually, <coughs> it's both because you can find your own little niche on the Internet, but that's more for the minorities. I think the minorities on the internet are much more fractured. If like, you know, if you're like in the trans subculture or something, I don't know. Your experience of the internet is very different or what what you're posting and stuff is very different from the internet right. But at the same time, the mainstream of society is much more homogenized by experiencing what's on the internet and the shared memes and stuff. And so I think for a lot of the majority, it's getting, the internet has made the world a little bit more homogenized. You know, you have people in Pakistan sharing the same memes as someone in Kansas, you know, and they're all speaking English. And so this, and they're all listening to the same music and same memes and same videos and the same you know, video games and stuff. And so there has been a, and even if with the case with America, you know, you can go back to the 60s, you know, bringing up the Southern identity thing. It's like a kid growing up and going to high school in Alabama would have had a completely different experience from someone going to high school in Massachusetts in the 1960s. But today, you know, outside of climate and maybe a little bit student body stuff, you know, those two people are experiencing the same culture. Now, there's a chance those two people and say, the Alabama high school or the Massachusetts high school would be a part of different internet subcultures. But if they don't really get into the internet subculture, if they're just on TikTok and they're uh, not going down any rabbit holes on Telegram, you know, they're experiencing the exact same culture. They're, you know, having the same lingo, having the same haircuts, having the same hairstyles and everything. I already said hairstyles, but same dress style and everything. And you can even see this with, uh, you know, an accents. A lot of the accents among young people are starting to disappear or are less strong as they were for their parents and grandparents due to this homogenized culture that is driven in part by the Internet. But it's also driven in part by TV and radio and the development of mass media over the last 60 years or so. So really more 70 years. But so I would say it's a little bit of both. Um if you want 
your own niche group on the internet, you can find something that is completely different from the mainstream. And I think that's exactly the case with the online right, because what the online right talks about and what we're into is completely different from the American mainstream. If you go and talk to Norm, I mean, it's like going back to this example of Nikki Haley, of like these normie Republicans all like Nikki Haley, which is just astounding to people in the online right. It's like, how the hell could anyone be into Nikki Haley? But something completely different. It's also something... Another instance is like the religious preferences of what's on the internet, right? Most normie Americans are either moving towards some type of vague agnosticism or they're sticking with evangel or really going into these rocks, uh, rock band evangelical churches. For the internet, right? It's like Eastern Orthodoxy and Trad Latin Mass, the c- complete opposite of rock star evangelical churches. And a lot of people who are in the subculture think that that's what's Uh, taking over the mainstream when the mainstream is something very different so you have a little bit of both and but i think for the majority of internet users it's creating a more homogenized experience uh, especially in america but even throughout the west anywhere where people can speak english fluently i think it's creating a more homogenous culture throughout those areas but at the same time, if you want something different from that majority culture, the internet makes it much easier to find your own niche that's completely different from the mainstream, which I think in the example of going back to the 60s or 70s, you know, it was very hard to get into a niche culture because it's like, where do you find this stuff out? Like, where do you find this stuff? It's even going to something like music, you know, uh, for a lot of, you know, I've everyone should know I'm a big into heavy metal and as a as a youth and i've always been into that it was very hard to get into that stuff pre-internet you know you would have to go to the record store and know that this album is good and word of mouth and maybe you got a magazine to tell you about this stuff but once the internet hit you know there's all these websites to recommend these albums that you would have otherwise never heard of like without the internet i would have never probably gotten into metal and so you can find your own niche interest much more easily with the internet but the same, and prior to that, you would have, you know, if you're wanting to listen to music, you're listening to what's on the radio. You're listening to those options there. You're listening to what's the mainstream culture of your area and place. But now you have options to find something else that's very different. Um, so that is my answer. It's a little bit of both. And uh, so I would, that is my answer and i'm sticking to it so that is it for today's highly respected we're going to have an incredible highly respected on the new year's we're going to do a year in review and year and an episode looking into what 2024 may hold and so be on the lookout for that i think a lot of people will enjoy it if you are a part of the cognitive elite and you want to ask questions more questions be free to answer ask them away i will answer any questions i receive between now and Monday, I will answer that mystery question. Mystery, if you are listening, make sure to remind, make sure to bump it up. I, I will try to get to it, but I always love reminders to, to make 100% certain I get to that answer. So that is it for Highly Respected's IQ Supplement today. We're going to have more great content into the new year, so be on the lookout for that. So until next time, stay respected.